0: Well, welcome to Salem Chapel, if you're new with us. Let me just say welcome, especially to you. My name is Johnny Pereira, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're watching us online, welcome as well. We are kicking off a brand new series this week entitled That You May Believe. Let me just say a couple things uh, this morning as we lead into this series that we'll be in for the next five and a half months. At Salem Chapel, here's what we believe God has called us to because he says it in his word. We believe that our responsibility and privilege as a church is to help you learn how to abide with Jesus. That's what we believe that God has called us to. Uh, we spent the last six weeks walking through how we're going to intentionally do that in this church and with you, uh, with all of us, as we are called to do that. John, Jesus says in John fifteen five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me will bear much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. We know for the last six weeks, we have emphasized that that is what Jesus wants to do with you and me. He wants to abide with us. As much as he's telling us to abide with him, he wants us to abide, or or as much as he's telling us to do that with him, he wants to do that with us. But here's what I know. Most of you, if not all of you, walked into these doors today with things weighing on you. Circumstances, pressures, pain, a myriad of things, maybe some things that you're celebrating. But it's not lost on me or the leadership of this church that that as we walk into those doors of the lobby, as we get our coffee or whatever it is, as we drop off our kids, if you have kids, as you walk into the doors of this place and you sit in those seats and you stand and you sing and then you sit under the teaching of God's word, that you are not bringing things into this place. Those things that I just described, circumstances, pressures, pain, disappointments, hurt, And what's so often the case, and it's true in my life as it is true in yours, if I am not careful, I can allow those things, circumstances, pain, pressure, disappointment, whatever it may be, to begin to define for me who Jesus is. See, that's a tension that we all live in. We know theologically, maybe some of us, who Jesus describes himself to be in his word. Like what we're going to look at today for some of you is not new. And so we know that, but here's where we struggle. We struggle connecting what we know theologically to what we are experiencing circumstantially. And what we begin to do is we begin to allow doubt and distrust to creep in. And we say this, though we may never say it audibly because we, there, there's a sense of shame that we would feel maybe, but, but we think this in our mind. Jesus, I know you tell me to abide with you, but I'm struggling to abide with someone that I believe has not come through on what he has promised. Unless you feel shame for that, let me just inform you, let me just be transparent with you, I've thought those thoughts myself. Why? Because we are all humans who struggle in life because we live in a broken world. And so as we come into this first chapter of John 1, there's a reason why the title of this series, as we walk through this book, 21 chapters, is entitled, That You May Believe. Because John, in John 20, verse 31, at the end of this book that he has written, gives the purpose for why he writes John. In John 10, 20, 31, it says this, These are written, like what I've just written. I've written it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now let me just explain something. There's four gospels for some of you that don't know. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. And each one of those gospels emphasizes a different aspect of Jesus, But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in those first three gospels, they spend a lot more time talking about the events of Jesus' life on this earth. But what we're going to see as we walk through the book of John, what we're going to see is John spends much more time, not necessarily on the events of Jesus' life, though we see some parallels, but he spends much more emphasis on what the events in Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually mean. See, more than any other gospel, John places an emphasis on describing who Jesus is. We just read the purpose in John 20, 31. John, more than any other gospel, focuses that Jesus is God in the flesh. And his purpose is that we would believe that. But more than believing it intellectually, that we believe it experientially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, yes, and intellectually. And so as we dive into this book, here's what I want to challenge us with and encourage us in is that Jesus, in the midst of your doubts this morning, in the midst of you wondering, Jesus, can you really be trusted? In the midst of you saying, Jesus, I know that I'm supposed to abide with you, but I'm really struggling to abide with someone who I believe did not deliver on what he had promised. I want you to hear this. Jesus welcomes your questions. He's not intimidated by them. He's not threatened by them. Listen to me, he welcomes them. He welcomes them. He's not like you or me. So you could ask me a question and say, Johnny, I'm not really sure that you are who you say you are, and I may feel threatened by that. I may may feel offended by that. But our Jesus never does. In fact, what you're gonna see in this book as we walk through, John, is you see many people talk with Jesus, and what do they oftentimes focus on? Jesus, who are you? I'm not sure I believe who you say you are. And Jesus never one time is threatened. And listen to me, he's not threatened this morning by your questions, by your doubts, by your insecurities in regards to him, by even your anger maybe towards him. He's not threatened, listen to me, he welcomes it. He welcomes it. Because what the Lord desires for you is what John says in John 20, 31. He wants you to believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that by believing, you may have life eternally, yes, but you may also experience life in this present world that we live. I wanna give you the idea of what we're gonna look at in these 18 verses, because can I just tell you, like if you're following along in our, in our uh, Salem Chapel reading plan, we purposely have you read the verses that we are going to cover the coming Sunday. So if you're following along in the reading plan, you've already read these 18 verses in your own time with the Lord and hopefully have one of our journals. If you don't, you can pick it up at the Welcome Center afterwards and use the Bible reading tool along with that. So let me just tell you this. You will not find more doctrinally rich verses describing who Jesus is in the entire Bible than what you will find in the 18 verses we are covering. So the challenge is daunting for me today because there have been volumes and volumes of books written just on these 18 verses. Like we could do a whole series for a year long on just these 18 verses. But here's what I want you to get today from these 18 verses. is this idea that Jesus is inviting you to believe, he's inviting you to believe that he can be trusted in every situation of your life. I chose that word inviting on purpose. Do you remember that I mentioned this verse over and over again in the last six weeks of our Abide series, Revelation 3.20, where it says, behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens the door, he will come into him and he will eat with him and and he with you that there's an invitation that Jesus is extending. In Revelation three, he's extending it to a church. Here today, I want you to understand this. He's extending an invitation to you. And he's saying, come to me, bring to me your doubts, bring to me your questions, bring to me your insecurities, bring to me your anger, bring all of those things. I'm inviting you to believe in a deeper way that I can be trusted in your life. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna pause here. I just believe I'm supposed to do this. I wanna pause here, and I just want us to take whatever we're struggling with, and I just want us to pray this. Jesus, would you show me that I can trust you in that? Would you do that with me? As I pray, God, we're here today. We're opening up this book that describes more than any other book who you are. And Lord, I thank you for this journey that we will begin today and over the next five and a half months. Lord, would you grow us in believing that you are our Christ, the son of the living God, and in believing that we will experience life. Lord, I pray that for every person in this room, every person who's watching this, every person that will be listening to this, that, Lord, we would allow your words to speak to whatever we are experiencing and thank you and trust you and believe that you are inviting us to know, experience, and believe you in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in a relationship this morning Think about your first date. Can you do that with me? So my first date uh, with Lori, the woman that I am married to, if you don't know this, was in the fall of 1998. There's actually a picture of us. Um, Lori looks the same. I look a little bit different. 1998. Now I remember, this is how Lori and I uh, got to our first date. So uh, I was a junior, uh, we were at a soccer game, um, I was not playing, but I was, we were watching another soccer game, and, and uh, she, she knew that I was interested in, in asking her out. Her friends knew that, and her friends knew me. So I'm beginning with my, with my buddies to be able to go to the soccer game, and she's on the other side of the field, but her friends see me. So they come running over to me, telling me, Johnny, 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 you gotta ask her out. Well, I saw that her friends were coming to me. So I had to then act upon what I was desiring. I couldn't just not do it now. She saw her friends coming. So I walk over, and, and like, like I said, I'm across the field, so it's a while for me to walk to her. Well, in the midst of walking, to my future wife, Uh, her ex-boyfriend, who she just got out of a relationship with some time ago, I don't remember how long, uh, started talking with her. Well, man, I've already made the walk. (laughs) So I'm there, so I can't turn around and like walk away. So I just stand there and wait till he's done, and you know what I do? I ask her out in front of him. Thank you, come on. (laughs) The 9 a.m. was slow to giving me applause. You guys were a little bit better. Which obviously, ladies, automatically, whether or not Lori was ever interested in me before, at least she would go on one date for me doing that. But as we... I remember that first date, and what are you doing on that first date? You're getting to know the person, they're getting to know you, and and then as you continue in that relationship, what do you do? You begin to know more and more about the person, you get more and more comfortable telling them more and more about you, and they get more comfortable in telling you more about them. Listen, we've been married for 22 years. I have not begun to dive the depths of, of knowing about Lori Tokars, now Pereira. Right Now, me, probably in year one, she had me figured out. But nevertheless, what's awesome about a relationship is that you begin to know more and more about the person the longer that you are with them. And they begin to know more and more about you and begin to share more and more about where you struggle and your weaknesses and all of those things. Well, what I want you to picture today as we begin this series and look at these pivotal 18 verses that are really the foundation and anchor of our faith in who Jesus Christ is, I want you to picture for yourself using Revelation 3.20 as Jesus literally, as you open the door, him sitting down with you and saying, can I tell you a little bit about myself? Can I tell you who I am? Can I tell you the implications of who I am? And in doing that, I want to hear from you who you are, where you're struggling, where you think you're strong, where do you think you're weak, the things that you would never share with anybody else because there's so much shame in them, all of those things, and we're sitting at a table, and I want that relationship with you. Like, that's what Jesus wants. I don't think that's a stretch to imagine that when Revelation 3.20 says he wants to come in and he wants to dine and he wants to enjoy and he wants to have fellowship and he wants to have intimacy with you and deep relationship with you. See, when we come to these 18 verses, it's so easy for us to focus so much on the theology side of things. And absolutely, that is vital and important. Don't hear me say otherwise. Otherwise. But listen to me, the Lord wants more than you having, being a spiritual egghead and having all these theological things in your mind, but not connecting them to your heart and to your life. So as we read these verses, what I want you to see is that Jesus is inviting you to believe. Why? Because that's the purpose of this book. He wants you to believe that he can be trusted in every situation of your life. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18 says this. Just one cross-reference this morning before we get started. Peter says this. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. We've got so much coming at us from all sides, from this thing right here to what we watch to what we read to what's inside of our heads. And Peter's saying, be careful. That you're not allowing all of those things to tell you who Jesus is. But what does he say in verse 18? But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That word knowledge is more than a head knowledge. It's an experiential thing. So let me give you four reasons that Jesus can be trusted in every area of your life. Let's start off in verse one and two. Look at what it says. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but the majority of you in here if you've spent any time in church these would not be new verses to you. So let's just walk through just some of the theological implications of verses 1 and 2. Because it says in the beginning Here's why that's so important. Because oftentimes when we think of Jesus' beginning, you know what we oftentimes go, come to? And it's, we're getting closer to this time. We think of Jesus in a manger. But can I just state the obvious? Jesus' beginning was not in a manger. What this passage of Scripture says is Jesus never had a beginning. Like when the beginning started in Genesis 1, Jesus was already there. In the beginning was the Word. And you'll notice in your Bible that the word is capitalized. If it's not capitalized, uh, just come and see me and we'll get you another Bible. Because the word is the idea of logos. Here's the significance of it. When I talk to you, if we were having a conversation and I'm talking to you, what comes out of my mouth if you're being perceptive? lets you as a window into my soul of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Otherwise, it wouldn't be coming out of my mouth. Like we can be talking about a sports game and I can be telling you things. Well, what I'm saying is telling you I like a certain team or I like a certain player. What I'm sharing with you across, if we're having a dinner, is telling you maybe I'm struggling in something. Maybe I'm excited about something coming. Maybe I'm nervous about something. Why? Because my words are a window into my heart, into my mind. So when it says that in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and it's mentioned over and over again in verse 2, what it's getting at is Jesus is the manifestation of God's words to us. You want to know the heart and mind of God? What it's saying is, is look to Jesus. Jesus is the epitome, the revelation of, of God's heart to mankind. He is the, What? Word, he's the word. It's interesting that John, who also writes Revelation, describes Jesus as the alpha and the omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Why? Because Jesus is the word. Hebrews 1, one through three says this. Long ago at many times and in many times, let me just stop there, just write Hebrews 1, one through three. If you wanna turn there, you can and follow along with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Like, that's how God communicated in the Old Testament. to other men. But in these last days, he has spoken us to, to us by his son. So before prophets talked about this Messiah coming, but Jesus comes and he is the word. There's no greater word to describe God's heart and mind towards you and to his creation. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification or forgiveness of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you ever have one of those moments that surprise you when you say something super intellectual? And you know what we oftentimes call those? A drop the mic moment. You know what I mean by that? Like no rebuttal. No, I've got the last word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and, Gen, and, and John 1 and 2, you know what it is in God's description of Jesus? It is a drop the mic moment. He's saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, another, another word's meaning all before time existed. Jesus and God were face to face, that's the idea, was with God. Intimate fellowship, relationship oneness even though three distinct person god the father god the son god the holy spirit will never understand it because we have finite minds absolute unity and then it says the word was god the word was god once again if you have a bible that says the word was a god come see me salem chapel will buy you another bible There's not four more significant, succinct words describing who Jesus is than what you're gonna find in verse two. He was God. He wasn't a God. He wasn't a lesser God. He was God. Now, here's what I need you to do to help me throughout the rest of the message because I actually need you to talk back to me. Here's what I want you to say throughout the rest of this message when I cue you, all right? 9 a.m. did an amazing job, so if we're going to look at, it at a competition, you have something to measure up to, okay? Um, so here's the two words I want you to say. I'm going to say them first, and then I want you to say them with me. Here's the two words, so what? You ready? Can you do that? Say it with me. So what? Great job. Say it one more time. So what? Here's why we're going to say that. Because so many of us, what did I say? We understand a theology about God. I, for some of you, I haven't told you anything new yet. You knew Jesus always existed, you knew he was God, you knew he was part of the Trinity with God, but you know what you need to answer this morning? So what? So what? How does that connect in my life right now, Johnny, with what I'm experiencing? I'm so glad you asked because here's the first reason Jesus can be trusted in every situation of your life. Here's the theological piece. Jesus has always existed as God but here's, here's how it impacts your life. Therefore, there is no situation in your life he is not fully capable to handle If it says, in the beginning was the word, then what that tells me is whatever I'm experiencing in this present moment, fear, anger, disappointment, frustration, circumstance, whatever, I look at that and I say, I have a Jesus who wants me to walk hand in hand with him as he leads the way. And he existed before this circumstance that I'm experiencing, which also means he will exist after that experience is over. Because he is transcendent, to use a theological word. He is above the time and above the experiences that I experience. Not that he doesn't care, but he is not defined by them. He is defined by who he is. Is And if Jesus is indeed God, which it says that he is, then what do I know is true about God? Well, I know he's omnipotent. I know he's all-powerful. The Bible tells me that. I know he's omniscient, which means he knows everything. There's not a thought that I think or a circumstance that happens that that God didn't already know was gonna happen. He's uh, omnipresent. He is everywhere. There is nowhere that God does not exist. And he is immutable, which means that God never changes. You change, I change, for the better, but not all the time. God never changes, and if that's true about God, then when I look at that, Jesus is God. Then I can also say this morning that Jesus is all powerful, that Jesus is all knowing, that Jesus is everywhere, that Jesus never changes. So when I understand that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, what that tells me is, yes, theologically, Jesus has always existed. But listen to me: if I'm struggling, if I'm sitting across the table from jesus this morning and he's saying let me tell you a little bit more about myself let me hear where you're struggling tell me abide with me walk with me jesus this is what i'm going through right now jesus this is where i'm angry jesus this is where it doesn't make sense What Jesus is saying to you this morning is, I've always existed. And what I want you to know is there's no situation in your life right now that I cannot handle. So bring it to me. Tell me about it. Trust me with it. That is the Jesus that wants you to abide with him. He is absolutely unequivocally, unarguably, unilaterally able to handle every circumstance you and I encounter in this world. Why? Because he has always existed. Let's continue reading. Look at verse three. It says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You know what I have underlined in my Bible? All things. Can you say that with me? All things, not some things, not a few things, not many things, not much things, all things were created, th- made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I was doing some, a little bit of research, and what's hard about studying, especially just what's out there in the universe, is it always changes. So what I'm going to give you today is going to be obsolete, but it's going to still help at least paint the picture of how significant... Jesus is and what he created. I was reading, it says, there's about a hundred billion stars in the average galaxy. And there are at least 100 million galaxies in what is known, the known space that we know of. This was interesting too. It says, this means that Or it says, uh, Einstein, which Einstein existed a long time ago, so things have changed. Einstein believed that we have scanned with our largest telescopes only one billionth of theoretical space. So Einstein, 50s, like 40s, 30s, like the telescopes that existed then don't even compare to now. And he was saying then we've only begun to see one billionth of what space most likely is. This means that there are probably something like ten octillion stars in space. Now, I'm curious. Before I read this, I didn't even know that octillion was a number. Anybody else know that? Any smart people in here? You need to raise your hand and be proud of this reality. Anybody ever heard of an octillion? All right, thank you. You few of you. Um, that's amazing, amazing. I'm very impressed. So I was like, well, how many is that? So. A one-thousands if one thousands equal a million and one millions equal a billion and one billion equal a trillion or one thousand billions equals a trillion and one thousand trillions equal a quadrillion and one thousand quadrillions which I didn't even know existed then, equals a quintillion which are numbers I never knew and one thousand quintillions equal a sextillion and one thousand sextillions equal a septillion and one thousand septillions equal an octillion so 10 octillion is 10 with 27 zeros behind it. What's the point? Jesus created all of it. Now, what's the two words I need you to help me with? So what? So what? Great. Like I get it man, I, was, I didn't really love science either. Like I took it because I had to, I'm with you, some of you. The ones of you who know octillion love science obviously. I get it, so what? That's a great question to ask because here's the second reason that Jesus can be trusted as I look at verse three in every area of your life. Here it is, here's the theological piece. Jesus is the creator of all things. Here's how it impacts us. Therefore, he created and knows you intimately. Because listen to me, it says all things. I said it doesn't say some, much, many, few. It says all things. You know what that means? You are in that all things. I am in that all things. And those times that have been out in the woods or away from the city and I look up at night and it's a clear night and I see all those stars in the sky. You know that. You know that feeling. And what do you feel like? Man, you feel so small. You feel so small. But what's the significance of Jesus being described as all things being made through him and without him was not anything made that was made? How it impacts my soul as Jesus sits across the table and says, tell me how you're feeling. And he's saying, can I tell you about who I am? What he's saying is I want you to know that I created all things, yes. But I created and I know you intimately. I created you. Psalm 139, 13 through 18, just write that in the margin next to verse 3. says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my own form, substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them if I would count them they are more than the sand I awake and I'm still with you what's the so what here's the so what I can trust Jesus with everything why because whatever I'm feeling experiencing celebrating struggling with it's not a surprise to me because he made me wasn't surprised when I'm wired the way that I'm wired. If you're naturally an anxious person, a worst case scenario person, God knows that. He understands that. And he knows how to speak directly to how you're wired and who you are. In my studies I came across this person. This was so interesting. If you're engineers in the room, you guys guys probably know this, this guy's name. This guy, Charles Steinmetz. He's an interesting-looking fellow, isn't he? He was an engineer in the early 1900s and, and was you know, did work with Edison and Henry Ford and so many others. I thought this story was so interesting. It said, one day, the assembly line broke down in the Henry Ford plant, and none of Ford's men could fix it. So they called in Steinmetz. He tinkered for a few minutes, threw the switch, and it started running again. A few days later, Ford received a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. Now, this is early 1900s. So that's a chunk of change. I love this. Ford wrote back, Charlie, don't you think your bill is a little high for just a little tinkering? Steinmetz sent back a revised bill. Which, remind you, ain't no cell phones, no email, like it took a long time to get a response. Here's the response, just this simply. Tinkering? 10 dollars knowing where to tinker 9990 <laughs> spoken like an engineer right what's the point steinmetz knew intricately how that machine worked why because he made it he made it the lord knows intricately intricately intimately he knows you better than you know yourself He knows you better than your best friend. He knows you better than your spouse. He knows you better than anyone that you are close to this morning. He knows you intimately. Why? Because all things were made through him. And there wasn't anything made that was made without him. He knows you. Look at verse 4 through 13. We got to move. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love verse five. We're going to jump to verse nine, because next week we're going to talk a lot about John the Baptist. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. First thing I want you to see in this is that word life. You're going to see that. We're going to see that a lot as we walk through this gospel. Life is mentioned 36 times in this gospel. It's a key piece that John is emphasizing. But you see in there that it says, in him was life. But then it says, and the life was the light of men. That word, the life, is speaking of spiritual life, deep meaning, significance, identity that we all long for. Think about it this way, in our physical lives, we can achieve everything that we want to achieve. We can achieve or we can do everything that we want to do. We can accumulate everything that we want to accumulate. But you know what every person has found if they have done all of that and have been successful in it, that there's still void of meaning in their life. Why? Because God has hardwired us to see that there has to be more to this life than just the physical. And many people search for that in many different ways and arrive to different conclusions. But what John is saying of Jesus is in him was life, spiritual life, and he is the spiritual life that we all are looking for. But that life is also described as light. A literal translation of John 1-5, like if you were to take all the tenses of the Greek words, here's what John 1-5 would read as. And the light keeps on shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I state the obvious? We're doing a lot of science today for some reason. Uh, Light always beats darkness. Light, I'll say it this way, light is undefeated against darkness, like, have you ever had one of those times where you've been in your home and the power goes out and you get a flashlight and you turn it on? What always happens, unless your kids play with the flashlights all the time before you need it, which that used to happen in our house. But let's say they didn't. You turn on that flashlight, what happens? You never reach a point and say, oh, the darkness is more than the light. Why? Because it is a fact Scientifically, that light always beats darkness. So John uses that scientific reality and says, Jesus is not only the life, but he also is the light. And this light has come into our dark world, and nothing will overcome what who Jesus is and what he has brought. You ready to answer? Say the two words with me? You ready? Yeah. So what? You're like, great, Johnny, awesome. How does that help me at work tomorrow? How does that help me in my marriage? How does that help me with my kids? How does it help me with what I'm struggling with? Well, here's the third reason Jesus can be trusted in every situation of your life. Here's a theological piece. Jesus is the source of spiritual life and light. That's what it says, but here's the implications. Therefore, significance and direction for your life is found only in him. Because you, you know, oftentimes in my life, when circumstances, when pressures, when pain, whatever it is I'm experiencing, relationally or 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 physically, or uh, maybe it's in work or wherever, you know what that oftentimes is pressing on and hitting on. You know what pain point it's touching? It's touching my significance. Well, I got this job and this boss never sees the work that I do and doesn't value the work that I do and doesn't compliment me enough on the work that I do or I've been bypassed a bunch and a bunch over this and I'm really struggling. You know what it's touching on? It's touching on significance. My spouse doesn't seem to really care about the way that I feel and doesn't really empathize with what I'm going through and doesn't acknowledge how hard I'm working or whatever it may be, whatever relation, you know what it's touching on often? It's touching on significance. I believe I should be seen like this, and no one else is seeing me like that. Where can also pressures and circumstances and stuff play itself out? Man, I'm getting anxious, I'm fearful, because I don't know what to do next. And I'm afraid of making a mistake whether it's with my kids or whether it's myself or whether it's in my relationship. See, we're all looking for significance and direction in our life. And so when I see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus says that he is the life And that he is the light of men. And that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcoming. Here's where that touches me. Wait a minute, let me bring myself back if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and let me remind myself that God opened up my eyes to him as the light. That God, there was nothing good enough myself that I could ever open up my own eyes Ephesians 2, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God, you opened up my eyes when I was in darkness to realize you are my life and you are my light. And I have the right to be called a child of God, as it says in this passage of scripture. Listen to me. I love to know my rights. I love to remind you of my rights. I love for us to debrief on my rights. I love to read my rights. I love to listen to my rights. We're hardwired to want to know our rights and to remind other people when they forget of our rights. But what it's saying here in this passage of Scripture is that I have a right to be called a child of God. Like, Lord, I deserve it. I don't know why you haven't given it to me sooner. It's not the idea. What it's saying is Jesus is my spiritual life. He lived perfectly for my sinful life. He died on the cross paying what my sin deserved, Romans 6, 23. My wages for my sin are death. He rose again three days later showing that he had completed the work that God the Father gave him to do on my behalf. He is my life and he is my life. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, he has given me the right to say to God, I can call you, Father. I can have a relationship with you today. I can ask you for the things that I need you to intervene in my life. I can approach you, as Hebrews 4.13 says, not with fear, not with shame, not with guilt, but with confidence, knowing that he will provide help and mercy in my time of need. That right is not one that I have earned, that I deserve, that I've worked hard enough for, but it has been given to me, why? Because Jesus is my life, and Jesus is my light. And it's not by my will, it's not the will of man, but it says, God gave that to me through Jesus. Listen to me, if you are looking for significance and identity and meaning and any other things, it is going to be shallow at best and you are gonna hit the bottom of that and realize that it is not going to satisfy. But when I bring myself back to the reality over and over again, when my significance is wanting to be challenged by circumstances that, Lord, I gotta remind myself, that I have the right to be called a child of God. You're my life, and Lord, you're my light. About four months ago, I was reading John on my own, just in my own time with the Lord, and there were circumstances that were pressing on me, and I was just, I was just being fearful and wanting to control everything, because when I get afraid, I don't run, I like to control. And I remember reading verses one through five, and I stopped at verse five, just five verses for that day. So you don't have to read four chapters. Five verses, I was like, man, when God speaks, I'm gonna stop. And I felt like what was speaking to me was the reminder that the light continues to shine on the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. And I was allowing fear and circumstances to cause me to feel like I was walking in darkness. And so, my response those next few days is every time I felt those, those fears coming upon me and me wanting to control things and, and just not being pleasant at home because I was wanting to control everything, I would remind myself what is verse 5 says? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, when I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way, he's leading me through darkness. Don't kid yourself. But because he's the light, he's providing me directne- direction in the midst of the darkness, because no one is overcoming the light. But there's more. Can we just finish out? Look at verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled among us. Like he pitched his tent into this broken world because of sin. The world that he created, yes, but a world that sin entered. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jump to verse 16, because like I said, we're going to talk about John the Baptist next week. For from his fullness we have all received. I love this phrase. It is one of my favorite phrase in all of the Bible. Can you say these three words with me? Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. In other words, the law shows us where we're sinful. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Like grace came in providing for me what I don't deserve. But the truth of Jesus Christ emphasizes that I need his grace. Because if I don't have God's grace, the truth is none of us will survive. So the grace comes in the gift that Jesus has given through salvation. The truth comes in identifying that we need it. That John fourteen six, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, you want to know who God is? You look at Jesus. He's the word. Here's the fourth reason. But before we get there, I may not forget, say the two words with me. So what? So what? Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Christ's glory is full of grace and truth. So what, Johnny? Well, here's the fourth reason. You can be trusted in every situation of your life. Yes, theologically, Jesus is God in human form, but here's the implication. He empathizes with endless grace for every situation that you face. What did I say at the beginning? Are you sitting at the table with Jesus? Have you opened the door? Are you letting him in? Are you shameful to tell him what you're struggling with? Because he wants to hear it. He's not threatened by it. He welcomes it. Just picture him right now saying, I know what that's like. See, when I see the word became flesh and dwelt among us, what I see there, remember I talked about God's transcendence? Yes, he exists before whatever I'm experiencing, and he'll exist afterward. But when I see that, you know what it tells me else about his love? He entered into it so that presently, whatever I'm struggling with, I don't have a Savior sitting across the table from me, and he's invited me into a conversation and into a relationship with him, and I have a Jesus who I'm holding hand in hand as he leads the way, and I can ever say to him, Jesus, you don't know what it's like. can't ever say that. Hebrews says he empathizes with every one of our weaknesses. That's the Jesus that I'm holding his hand. That's the hand of Jesus that I'm holding as he leads the way. And it says that Jesus gives grace upon grace. It's such a significant phrase and I don't have time to unpack it. But literally the grace that I receive at salvation, forgiveness of all my sins, past, present, future, by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done through me through his life, death, and resurrection, that would be enough grace. Like if it stopped there, I could never wave my hand at God and say, God, you're not good. But this says, that I can always come back to the reservoir of God's grace and know that I can bathe in it, I can swim in it, I can dive in it, and I can go as deep as I want to, and I'll never hit the bottom, and I'll never run out. Because just when you think you've run out, God's like, I got grace for that. You want to be angry at me? I have grace for that. You want to doubt me? I have grace for that. You want to struggle that I'm not delivering what I promised? Man, I have grace for that. Hold my hand. And as you hold my hand, you're going to believe deeper and deeper and more significantly in your walk with me that I can be trusted. So, what is it today? What is it? What did you pray at the beginning? that God, would you help me to trust you in this? And listen to me. Maybe at the end of this, you're like, God, thank you so much. I heard directly from you. I know exactly what to speak to my pain, my circumstance, my pressure, whatever it is. And if that's you, praise God for that. But here's what I've found in my life, and there's been times that that has happened, that I gotta chew on that. I gotta speak that truth to what I'm feeling. I need to preach it to my soul. Because listen to me. God's not in a hurry. Jesus isn't like, man, I hope, I hope that by 1210 you get it. No, he's in for the long haul with you. Because he loves you, because he can be trusted. God, we're here today to remind ourselves, or maybe for some of us, to believe for the first time that you are a savior who can be trusted. That Lord, as we look at these 18 verses and see all these deep theological truths about who you are and why why you are different than any other person or thing that we want to put our trust in. God, may you begin to connect how that is for what I believe to what I am experiencing and to make that connection. But God, help us to see that you want to come in. You want to sit at a proverbial table with us. You want us to tell you what we're feeling, where we're struggling, where we're celebrating, where we're doubting, and believe that you will speak and show yourself mighty and true to every one of those things. God, I thank you for your grace and how it is grace upon grace. And your grace will never run out towards me or anyone else in this room, online, listening, whenever it is. God, your grace is great. God, I thank you for who you are. And may we rest in that reality today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand with me this morning?